really warm welcome to the teaching ministry of New Life Church Crawley. We're a multicultural, intergenerational church. We believe in the gospel of Christ. We believe in spreading his love through his word and through his works. We really hope that you enjoy what you hear today. We'd love for you to connect with us via the usual social media outlets, such as Facebook or on our website. Just wonderful. Welcome, Alan. Great to see you. <laughs> um, so, yeah, well done. Welcome, everyone. And if you haven't been given a welcome pack, then please do make sure you get one before you go. It's full of lots of information about the church here and helps us stay connected with you because in there there's a little card you can fill in. So please, uh, if you're new and you would, you're happy to fill that in, please do give it to one of us and we can stay connected with you. But we hope you feel God's love here and very, very welcome from us. Uh, if you're online this morning, then please fill in the online card. Okay, missions trips. As we've just seen, Dave and Bev are not with us. They're in Sri Lanka. And they are there until the 22nd of February. So as Dave explained, he's been teaching in the Bible school. Please keep praying for them because they're having a wonderful time, but they are there ministering. So continue to pray for them. God's wisdom, God's protection, God's blessing upon them. Um, that would be amazing. When they come back, um, actually, no, I'll come back to that in a minute. Okay, let's move on to pancake party first. Um, this is a hugely popular event. It's on Tuesday. Okay, so a couple of days' time. You don't have to book three till five. There will be an abundance of pancakes. <laughs> so please come and support that if you're able. But please also be in prayer. It's part of our outreach that we're bringing people to come and know God's love as we move into the Lent season and towards Easter, which, of course, is our biggest celebration um, of our calendar, really, when we just thank God for all he's done. Thank you. Again, food. <laughs> it's a bit of a theme in this church, isn't it? So from pancakes to a meal, we have an international meal coming up on the 25th of February. Once again, it's a bring and share. We will have families bringing their children. We have three dedications. We also have all of you bringing food from your favorite dishes through to uh, all sorts of different countries, uh, foods being enjoyed together. So if you haven't already, please see Sarika. Where are you, Sarika? I can't see you. There she is. Just stand up and wave so everyone knows who you are. <laughs> okay, well, she didn't stand up, but we did get a wave. So please see her if you haven't already. Okay, prayer. Peace, as you know, is leading our prayer ministry. She's sort of overseeing the prayer team, which is wonderful. And if you haven't had the opportunity to go online on a Wednesday and join her for prayer, I really encourage you to do so. It's such a wonderful time of blessing for all, and it's just half an hour. And the exciting news to add to that is that Peace has agreed to deputize. So as and when Grace... At is not able to do something or if they want to share something together, the team is growing. So thank you, Peace, for stepping out and using your giftings and serving God in that way. 
Okay, new news. We have a new administrator and church treasurer. And you will know that I am currently the administrator and treasurer. Well, you may not know, but I am. <laughs> um, uh, but God has been at work in my life, and I've recently been appointed as a chaplain. So I am in a new season. I'm kind of transitioning from the season I was in into a new one. And I just want to give thanks to God this morning as I transition from the old to the new. Um, I've been here working as the administrator treasurer for a year now, but the baton is handed on. I'm currently training our replacement, and I just want to say thank you, Lord, for providing for me as I've been through this season of transition, and to thank God, the trustees, all of you for the support and encouragement you've given me as I've continued to seek the Lord and pray and trust him for what's next for me. So please do pray for me because <laughs> as excited as I am to be moving into the new, I'm still in that kind of transition from what is to what's new. So yeah, please keep praying for me. Okay, giving. Another way we can give thanks to God is with giving um, and just thanking God for all he gives us. And there are many, many ways that you can do this. Uh, you can scan the QR code. There's a brown box at the back where you can put an envelope. You can transfer money online. So lots of different ways to give. But I just want to finish giving you um, a Bible verse from Proverbs that kind of fits with both my new role and the idea of giving. And it's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It says, a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. And that's so true, isn't it? As we share God's love, what a blessing that is to us. We receive so much more than we give, don't we? And giving financially is another way of doing that. Because as we give, we support the ministries that... Uh, happen and work in this place. We support things like missions trips. We support work in the community like the Pancake Day. We support the children's ministries that happen here. So if you are generous in your giving, giving back to God just a fraction of what he's given to you, then I know in turn that you will be blessed as you share God's love in all that you do. Okay, I'm going to hand over to Kerry. Thank you. God bless you all. Can I just say that Liz may say that she's going, but she doesn't escape that quickly. So she doesn't start, she doesn't leave her role until the 19th of April. So she is still with us till then, doing the administrator. And obviously she's not going. So don't think she's going. There is no way she's going. So we really do pray for you as you sort of step into your new role, Liz. And we thank God for you for all that you've done. So let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for who you are. And we just place ourselves into your hands now. We pray that you will give us the words that you want to say. We pray that you will help us hear what you want us to hear. And we pray that you will challenge our hearts to be deeper and just to follow you in the way that gives up everything, in the way that you gave up everything for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So I wonder what you think about when you hear the word unity. 
I grew up, when I was growing up, in the world of Little House on the Prairie and the Waltons. Now, most of you, I can see Amelia's face. It's like, what is she talking about? But for those of you that are as old as me, you will remember those families. And those families lived in unity. They sometimes had a little bit of a disagreement, but by the end of it, it was all sorted. Everything was harmonious, and everything to give Chris another word, was hunky-dory. They all lived in unity. So, my idea of unity was that. Mahatma Gandhi gives us a different idea of what unity is. I love this quote. Unity, to be real, must stand the severest strain without breaking. Isn't that amazing and powerful? Because unity is not a let's run through... Do you remember the end of Little House on the Prairie where Carrie used to run through the long grass and all the flowers growing and everything was just wonderful? Unity isn't always like that. Because when we live in unity, it will be tested. And the true sign of unity is does it resist that test? And today we're starting part, we're doing part two of our new series, Building a Spirit-Filled Community. And last week, David gave us an amazing overview of 1 Corinthians, which is what our series is based on. And we've put up on the wall the, the artwork that the children did to sum up what 1 Corinthians is about. And what we learned was that disunity was a real issue for the church in Corinth. For a spirit-filled community to thrive, unity is essential. And this is really obvious in Paul's letters, because he pleads with them again and again. I urge you to live in harmony. I urge you to put aside all slander, all gossip. He urges them to live in unity. But actually, the church that he was uh, writing his letter to was perhaps a little bit more like this. Okay, in exactly two minutes and 17 seconds, the lemurs will cut the power. No? No. Okay? No. 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 I drop down, grab the penguins, you crank me up, and we are out of here. Oh, 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 let, let me drop down. I'll grab the penguins. You don't have fingers, Marty. No? No. Do it? No. These are things a leader has to think of. Why should you be a leader? Why, why not me? Because I'm the phase tracker. I voted you grand phase master anyway. Me. I voted me, because I'm the leader. Nah. That's it, baby. No? No. The king of Versailles wins it all. Wow. Maybe I should be in charge. No, man. I am a doctor. Oh. No. Why can't we all be leaving? Enough. I'm going to leave. Okay, so lots and lots of power struggles going on. Lots and lots of people trying to live out of their giftings. If you're a hippopotamus, don't stand on a glass ceiling is the answer to that. And that's what it was like, I feel, for Paul. And that's, the letter that he, that's why he was writing his letter. He had built the church, and yet they were not living up to what he had left them to do. And I love at the beginning of um, 1 Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 1.13, he really cuts to the core with three rhetorical questions. A rhetorical question is one that you actually know the answer to, but you're just putting it out there. And so he gives these three questions, and these really sum up for me what chapters one and two are about. So the first question, has Christ been divided into factions? That's what the church in Corinth looked like. There were some people following all the different leaders, 
and they weren't living in unity. I wonder what people out there see of the church now. Because if I'm being honest, I think that we sometimes spend so long arguing over preferences that we forget the fundamentals that we actually agree on. And I really do, in my heart, feel that God is calling churches to stand in unity. I really feel now more than ever, we need to be unified within New Life Church, but also within other churches. He's calling us to work together, to stand firm, because unity and resilience, I think, are really important. I think we're heading into a new time, and unless we're unified, unless we're resilient, we're not going to stand firm in God. So unity is really, really important. Another question he asked, were you baptized in the name of Paul? He knows that they weren't baptized in the name of Paul. But again, people were focusing on the wrong thing. Charisma, personality, education started to matter. And so people, we said last week, lots of people were calling on Apollos and saying that he was the best leader. He was the best leader because he spoke so well. And again, I wonder if we've built churches into celebrity status. I wonder if with all the mega churches that go on, whether we put people up on a pedestal and actually we're taking the focus off what it should be, which is God. And I think it's so important that we remember churches are not about personalities. Churches are about God. And if Paul had looked at Apollos, Apollos would have had loads more Facebook friends than him. He would have had loads more likes and loads more YouTube, what's it called when you go onto YouTube to hits, thank you. He would have had loads more than Paul, but that didn't make him any more a greater preacher than Paul. We need to be careful of celebrity status. And then the last question that I think is key, and that's what we're going to focus on today. Was I, Paul, crucified for you? This question is so important for a spirit-filled community because the true source of power in a church must be the message of the cross and the resurrection. And when we think about the gospel, we need to remember the gospel is not a message about God's power. The gospel is God's power. I think we need to really twist our thinking on that because it's not a message about God's power. The gospel is God's power. If we read in, sorry, if we turn to Romans 1, 16, if you want to have a quick look in Romans 1, 16, and it tells us there, for I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work saving everyone who believes. So that verse tells us the gospel is the power and we need to hold on to that and remember that. I believe that Paul is saying that the church has unity through the cross and I believe he's doing that in three ways. The first way that I think he says that we have unity through the power of cross is knowing that the power of cross destroys sin and death. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30 gives us the amazing truth. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy and he freed us from sin. We need to hold on to that. 
I definitely need to hold on to that. For those of you that have come into church this morning and you're feeling guilty and you're feeling shame because you've messed up again this week, when Jesus was on the cross, he said, it is finished. For those of you that have come into church this morning feeling a bit wary, feeling you don't belong, not knowing where you fit, not thinking you're good enough, Jesus on the cross said, it is finished. For those of you that have come in and you're sitting next to somebody and you think that they, know, they think they know you well, but you in your head are thinking, if they really knew what I'm thinking, if they really knew what I've done in the past, if they really knew what my life is like, there is no way they would choose to sit next to me. Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. And we need to hold on to that. Now, obviously, when Jesus said, it is finished, it didn't mean that Satan was going to give up. We know that too well. He still longs to seduce us into sin. But what the power of the cross has done, and this, this just gives me goosebumps, what the power of the cross has done is it's taken away the eternal damage that Satan wants to do. Because the power of the cross has destroyed sin and death. And I'm really excited this morning because Moose is going to come up and share a little bit more about what that means for us. Thank you, Carrie. Good morning. Good morning. Hello. Okay. I'm quite excitable, so please expect that <laughs> as we go through it. Okay, so I'll be spending the next 10 to 15 minutes with you. Um, and as I do, I will have some little helpers with me along the way. So I expect to see them. Okay, so the Bible tells us that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And what does that mean? That means that we've missed the mark. You know, and what is the mark? And that's the mark of holiness, right? That's aspiring to be like God. You know, and that's being morally and spiritually excellent. And we know that because Jesus demonstrated those behaviors when he walked here on earth. Sin, on the other hand, is evil. It's the complete opposite of holiness. And you know, kids, we know when we sin, that includes us lying, cheating, pretending to be something or someone we're not, hurting people intentionally. Those are just some of the examples of sin. You know, but the amazing thing is we serve a God that's holy. And because we do, he can't have sin in his presence. He really cannot, and we know it because the Bible tells us what fellowship is light and darkness. You know, we, we are all chosen to bear fruit. You know, we're all expected to be salt and light to those around us, and what does that mean? That means we're expected to be a blessing to those around us. You know, to people as they journey through life, we have to be there. You know, and, and, and sin, really what it does is ultimately it separates us from God. And unfortunately, it also comes with a penalty. And I think all of us know this because the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is? Yes. Oh, yeah. So, can you believe it wasn't always like this from the beginning? No, it wasn't. God and humans lived together. So, I'm going to ask God to come up. God, please come up. Thank you. <laughs> Small but mighty. This was God. And if I can ask us to come up as a representation of Adam and Eve. 
Wonderful. Okay. Okay, brilliant. So Adam and Eve were together in the Garden of Eden. And it's great because they were in God's presence. They had a wonderful, to, a wonderful time and a wonderful relationship with God as they did so. But something happened. They ate from the tree, which is not so great. You know, they ate from the tree of good and evil. And by so doing, they disobeyed God. And when they did that, they missed the mark. You know, they sinned and they, they fell short of God's glory. And because they did that, sin was introduced. So I'm going to ask sin to come up and be very scary. Very scary, please, sin. Yeah. Okay, and as you can see, what's just happened between God and us? Absolutely. So sin, sorry. So sin came and separated us. Because unfortunately, Adam and Eve, sin, meant that for us as well, we were separated from God by sin. You know, so God had to turn away Adam and Eve from the garden. You know, but one thing is really amazing about God, and that's his love. It endures forever. It really does. Because despite this happening in the beginning, right, God still loves us. And he still loved Adam and Eve. So he wasn't surprised that they fell short. He wasn't surprised that they sinned. But you know what God chose to do? He chose to show mercy. And he chose to show mercy because he already had a plan to save them. How incredible is that? Hmm? And by so doing, God also showed them grace, which is really undeserved favor. You know, and he did this by being able to give them the gift of life, which is eternal life. Now, to, rem to remind us all, in the book of John 3, verse 16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. But you know what my favorite part is? It's the next verse. Because the next verse reminds us that Jesus didn't come here to condemn the world. He didn't condemn them because they sinned. He actually came to save them. So how did Jesus do this? So of course we know that's okay. Okay, so Jesus came to earth as a baby, and as he grew up, he lived a sinless life, and a holy life at that as well. And Jesus never missed the mark at all. You know, but just like holiness, like, just like holiness can destroy evil, evil tries, as Kerry has already said, to destroy holiness. And what did that mean? So at the time that Jesus walked, there were people in really high positions of power that didn't like what Jesus stood for. They hated Jesus, they hated what he represented. They hated the fact that he was holy. And as a result of it, they convinced the Roman emperor to crucify Jesus. And when they did, of course, they nailed Jesus to the cross. Oh, just as a reminder of what the cross looks like. So they crucified Jesus' body to this cross. And Jesus died. 
There was one person that was happy on that day. Do you all know who was happy when Jesus died? I think I heard someone say it. Satan, yes, thank you, Mike. Satan was happy. Oh, he was so happy. He was like, finally, finally, Jesus is dead. His holiness is gone, you know? But you know the amazing thing is Satan didn't understand God's plan. He really didn't. He thought he'd won. But something amazing happened after three days. And again, I'm going to ask, what happened after three days? Amen. You should be preaching here. Huh? So Jesus rose again after three days and he defeated death as a result of having done that. Jesus' death on the cross really paid for our sins and he paid for our wages. And I'd like to remind us again with another scripture in Ephesians, which is one of my favorites. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. And what this scripture says is it's not by our works. It's not by how many good things you do. Absolutely not, it's by God's grace, that undeserved favor that he gave us through the faith. And I think that's wonderful. So the cross that was used to punish Jesus Christ, incredible because actually what the cross actually became was a bridge back to God over sin. And this is effectively what happened. Yes, thank you, Carrie. Okay. Isn't that amazing how the cross was used to punish sin, but actually it was, in fact, a bridge over sin so we can get back into God's presence. Hmm? And ultimately, the cross destroys sin and death, which I think is wonderful. So, we've all spoken about it, that God is so many amazing things. Thank you. So many amazing things. I think we all called it out this morning. He's our healer. He's our savior, he's merciful, and he's so much more. You know, but there's one thing that God will not do. And God won't force us or make us to be able to cross over that bridge. He won't. You know, God loves us enough to be able to give us a choice. We can continue to live a life of sin, or we can accept his gift. You know, we all know that God wants that relationship with us. He really does. But he's not going to force us to be in his presence. Unfortunately not. So again, we know the Bible says the wedges of sin is death. And the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. And the amazing things about gift is gifts are free. You don't have to pay for it or buy it. It's given to you for free. And this is Jesus Christ giving you this gift for free. You don't have to do anything to earn it. All you have to do is choose to accept it if you want to. You know, and what are you accepting? You're accepting eternal life through Jesus Christ in heaven. Now, I hope a lot of you, if you've not already had the chance to accept Jesus Christ in your life, I hope you do, because it's one of the most amazing gifts anyone will ever give you. So, as a reminder, of this amazing gift, and also as a way to keep you here. There's some lovely gifts that we're all gonna receive at the end of the service through the teas and coffee, so please do feel free to join us and stay, which would be wonderful.
and for the kids. In your activity packs, you've got a lovely goodie bag with a gift in there. And again, you don't have to accept it. It's up to you to choose with parents' discretion. Of course, so as Carrie comes back and continues to preach, the activity packs will be given out to your kids to continue to obviously, there's loads of activities in there as well. All right, thank you so much. Amazing, thank you so much, Musa. That was a really, really excellent visual uh, reminder of what happened on the cross. So children, your gift bags are gonna be given out. Their gift bags are in the kitchen rows if you wanna grab hold of them. Um, and you'll need a pencil case. Parents, you might want to check out the gift bags first before you let them have what's inside them. I'm taking no responsibility now, it's over to parents. Um, and so we're gonna carry on thinking about the power of the cross. Because we know that the power of the cross as Musa has so beautifully told us, defeated sin and death. But the power of the cross also creates hope. Before Jesus came, people could only speculate about what happened after we died. And the church in Corinth didn't seem to have grasped this either, because it tells us, as we read in 1 Corinthians 1 to 23, when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. There were two ways of thinking in the church of Corinth. First of all, there was a group of people that were trying to reach God by following rules. They were following rules and rituals and they actually thought that they could get closer to God by their status. They felt that if they really were good, if they made lots of sacrifices, if they were high up in the temple, then they would be closer to God. They were striving for position. Or there was the airy-fairy approach. Yeah, I know Jesus was a good man. He did some really good stuff when he was here. I know there is a spiritual being, but I don't really believe Jesus rose from the dead. It's not true, it's just hearsay but I will follow the airy-fairy spiritual route. Does that sound familiar to today? There are still people that think if they follow rules, if they make themselves better than anybody else, they're gonna be closer to God. And there are still people that say, yeah, there's something out there. I'm being a, quite a good life. I, I believe Jesus was here, but not sure he really died on the cross for me. They've got that approach. Two approaches, neither of them lead to the hope. Because those people that really understand the power of the cross, they've got hope for eternity spent with God. And it's not only in the future that they've got to look forward to. They've actually got hope for what the God is doing on earth. Because as Musa said, when we accept God into our heart, there is no greater way of living. There is no greater gift that you can have. And so it's really important to remember, it tells us in Hebrews 2, verse 4 and 5, for only as a human being could he, that's Jesus, die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil. 
who had the power of death. Only in this way could he set free all those who had lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. So when Jesus died on the cross, that offer of eternal life took away that fear of dying and took away the slavery that that made people under and that need to try and make ourselves good to God. Because actually being a Christian is not a religion. It's not a list of rules to follow. It's a relationship. And that's what the power of the cross is about. And it's really important to remember that that hope is only felt by those people that understand. This understanding is not dependent on intellect. This understanding actually, and this warms my heart, is not dependent on age. The youngest person, the least educated person, can understand this hope. What makes us understand it? Spiritual wisdom. The message of the cross is easily understood by the youngest, the least educated, as long as their hearts are open to the Spirit. I was doing a Bible study with somebody last week, and we were talking about the Bible. And this person said to me, a while ago, I used to try and read the Bible, and I read it every day because I thought I should. But I'm being honest, Kerry. I found it boring. I didn't understand it. I couldn't see its relevance to my life. But now, I can't wait to read the Bible. It just comes alive as I read it on the page. I don't do it at a set time every day. I just want to do it as much as I can. And it's changed my life. What's changed? They now have God's spirit in them. And that spirit brings alive the Bible. And that spirit is guiding them. Eloquence was really important to the church of Corinth. I hope it isn't important to you because I don't stand a chance. But eloquence was really important. But that was no good without focusing on the gospel. If you want to read about Apollos in Acts 18, it tells us that he was really eloquent. He was really charismatic. But at the beginning, he missed the message of the cross. And if we don't really understand how important that is, if we had a look in Acts 16, 16, Paul was out preaching and there was a lady that came and this lady was filled with a spirit. And this spirit kept saying, these men are servants of the Most High God and they have come to tell you how to be saved. If you read that story, Paul in the end has enough and commands the spirit to come out of the girl. But what really interests me is the spirit is not threatened by Paul's char charisma. He's not, the spirit is not threatened by Paul's personality, where he came from, what he was wearing, how many followers he's got. What was the spirit threatened by? Paul was telling people about the gospel. That is what threatens the devil's work. Because when everything is brought back to the cross, he doesn't stand a chance, and he knows that. The power of the cross, dis oh, I'm going to just, sorry, I'm going to tell you a story quickly, because this really warmed my heart this week. There's a story that I think sums up how important it is to come back to the cross. There was a little girl, and she was lost. Huge city. And she looked up and thought, I don't know how to get home. And she sat there, and she cried. 
and she really felt defeated. A policeman found her, and this policeman said to her, I want to get you home. I want to take you to your house. Give me some clues to where your house is, but this poor little girl couldn't. So the policeman said, I'm going to tell you some of the landmarks in the city, and then you can tell me how to get to your house from them. And so he said to her, look, the park's over there. No recognition. She still looked lost and was crying. He said to her, what about over there, the shopping mall? How do you get to your house from there? Again, she had no idea and looked defeated. He said, what about the police station, the train station? He tried all the main landmarks in the town. And then he said to her, there's a church and it's got a huge steeple. And on top of that steeple is the cross. The girl's face lit up and she said, if you can show me that cross, I can find my way home. That's what the gospel is all about. When we go back to the cross, we find our way home. So the power of the cross destroys sin and death. It gives hope and it also draws all people to God. Notice I've put oil all in capital letters. So important that we accept this. 1 Corinthians 1.10 tells us that Paul says, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no division in the church. Rather be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. Misa so brilliantly showed us how the cross was a bridge to God. But do you know what? The cross was also a sledgehammer to every wall that separates us from each other. If you're not sure of that, read the Bible. It tells you there is no Jew, there is no Gentile, there is no man, there is no woman. We are all equal in God's eyes. And it's really interesting that the shape of the cross, we've got the vertical beam that points up to God. But we've also got the horizontal beam that brings us and connects us together. On the cross, Jesus tore down every wall that could separate us. And what Jesus did on the cross was for all people. The power of the cross is multicultural. The power of the cross is intergenerational. The power of the cross doesn't see class. It doesn't see education. The power of the cross is for everybody. The power of the cross is relevant to all societies and to all cultures, but it's confined by none. That is so important to realize because some of us can think, I've got it right, they've got it wrong. Do you know what? Jesus works beyond our limits. Jesus works beyond the box that we put him in. Jesus didn't see labels on people. Isn't that amazing? Think about the cross. When Jesus died, the people that were at the foot of the cross, there were so many different people from all sorts of walks of life, and yet every single one of them was saved by Jesus. He didn't put labels on people, nor should we. Have you noticed how God does things differently to the world? We choose people who seem to be dynamic, who seem to be together, we put all these celebrities up on this pedestal. God chooses the people that we would label as weak. God chooses the people that we would label as they don't stand a chance. And he gives them the most important job to do. And that's what he did to Paul. 
If we truly understand the power of the cross, there is no division. And if we truly understand what Jesus has done for each of us individually, there should be no need for power struggles. There should be no need for jealousy or bitterness. Because a church working in unity is the hope of the world. If we lift the cross up and show the world the cross, this world that is in so much pain, that's bitterly divided, can come to know the love of Jesus that we know so well. I love this vision in Revelation 7, verse 9. After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and every tribe and every people and every language standing in front of the throne before the Lamb. We need to be multicultural. We need to be intergenerational because the power of the cross is relevant to all of us. I've really been praying before today that God would really reveal to me what he wanted to bring out. And obviously, I've tried to do that. But one thing that God said to me this week was he really wanted me to look at the book of Jeremiah, and in particular, Jeremiah 33. And I have to tell you, this really confused me because I'm talking about the cross. Jeremiah was hundreds of years before the cross. And there's so much that I think God wants us to hear as a church from Jeremiah chapter 33. But the thing that I'm gonna really highlight for us today is spiritual wisdom. Spiritual wisdom is different from earthly wisdom. Spiritual wisdom is so important for us to discern what God wants us to do. Have you ever wondered why people like Paul were so energized to share the gospel? What was it about Paul that gave him that he just was determined? He was shipwrecked. He was bitten by a snake. He was locked up. Why did he carry on? What about people that live in countries like China, where if people knew they were meeting to share the gospel, they could be killed? What energizes, what makes people, motivates people to do that? What about people like David that will give up so much to go overseas to tell people the news of the gospel that wouldn't otherwise hear it? Why do they do it? They do it because they understand the power of the cross. When we really get it, really get what Jesus did for us so deeply and the power and the authority that that gives us in him, when we really see the true awesomeness of God and the love that he's got for every single one of us, surely it builds up so much that we can't help but share it. And that's what Jeremiah did. It tells us that when Jeremiah had the word of God, it became like a fire. He couldn't contain it. He had to speak it out. Jeremiah 33 verse 3 talks about spiritual wisdom. It talks about God showing Jeremiah things that he would never understand if it wasn't coming from God. That's what God longs to do for us. And while I was thinking about Jeremiah, Jeremiah 33 is actually pointing everyone to Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Jeremiah was a prophet hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus. And yet he was pointing people to the savior of the world. Jesus came, and as we know, he lived. He did amazing things. He had his disciples to help him. But do you know what? I think he lived in frustration with his disciples a lot 
because his disciples, the people that knew him best, didn't get it. Lots of them didn't understand what was going to happen and tried to put him into something he wasn't because everything that Jesus did pointed to the cross. And then a bit later, we've got Paul. I love Paul. I love Paul's story. If you don't know Paul's story, read it. If you think you're not good enough, read where Paul came from. Because Paul, in the beginning, the first time we hear him in the Bible, he's referred to as Saul. And Saul was going around persecuting Christians. Paul was going around getting people locked up or killed if they said they believed in Jesus. And yet, God chose him. And he had a revelation of Jesus. The question that Saul says, who are you, Lord? And when he got the answer to that, that's when he went on his missions. That's when we see the letters that he wrote that have such a powerful effect on us today. Saul got who Jesus was. Saul got what the cross was about. And that's why he went through everything he went through. When we understand the power of the cross, that's when we can live in unity. That's when we can truly build God's kingdom on this earth. The church can have unity through the power of the cross. The power of the cross destroys sin and death. It gives hope and it draws all people to God. What difference would it make to your life if the cross was always your central point? What difference would it make to our relationship with God? What difference would it make to our relationship with others? We're just going to have a little bit of time of quiet as the uh, worship group come back up. And we're just going to reflect on the cross. Where are we with the cross today? It could be that you've never really understood what Jesus has done for you. And it could be that you need a reminder of how much he loves you. It could be that you've been trying to live out, trying to get closer to God by rituals, by being a certain type of person. And it could be that our pride is getting in the way. Or it could be that your relationship with others has never really been what it should be. And so you need to point people back to the cross. I'm wondering, Amelia, would it be possible to do forever again so that we can focus on that cross? Let's, when we sing this worship song, let's really think about the cross and what Jesus has done for each of us. But I just want to finish before we um, finish with our worship song. I just want to finish with a bit of a declaration. I don't want to finish with a bit of a declaration. Okay, if it comes back on during worship, I'll come up at the end and do that. But basically what it said was that Jesus came and he was weak and he was wounded and he was broken, but he did, God, did God's will and went to the cross. Our response, whether we're wounded, whether we're broken, whether we've been destroyed by the world around us, our response should be, let's take people back to the cross. Thank you so much for joining us today. We hope that you enjoyed the teaching. We'd love to hear from you, so please contact us. All the details can be found on our website. God bless. Amen.